let me just say this real quick. Maga, Maga. <laughs> Welcome to the Renaissance, yeah. episode sixty-three. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are still doing our series on the early influential Renaissance artists and thinkers. This episode, as I promised last time, we're going to do two people. Uh, We're going to talk about one of the great early artists, Fra Angelico. And then we're going to talk about the man who was major, major patron of guys like Fra Angelico and Leon Battista Alberti and others, including Poggio, uh, uh, Nicholas V, Pope Nicky V. (laughs) Nicky, Nicky Five Fingers, they called him. Um, oh. So in, in, impressive guy, really uh, interesting and impressive pope. Anyway, mm-hmm. Fra Angelico, do you want to kick it off, Papa Bear? I do, and yet I don't. I have information, but I forgot to write down what year he was born, so I apologize. Um, 13, 1395. 1395, born in a Tuscan village named Guido di Pietro. He went to Florence. That was the name of that was the name of the village, that, or that was him? the name of himself when he was a little fleshy baby. And just to be clear, not thank you. And um, like the the previous gentleman, Alberti, this guy is naturally talented. Uh, he he can't do everything, but he's he's, he's going to turn out to be a great artist. So he goes to Florence. He studies painting, probably with Lorenzo Monaco. Um, he's a natural talent, but either he finds God or God finds him, and he enters the Dominican order in 1407. So he's now a novice in the church, and he travels. Um, and so he's gotten his life going. So he, he thinks he's pretty much going to spend the rest of his life being in the Dominican order. Maybe painting is going to be a hobby. Who knows what it's what it's going on, but he's got his life started. It seems like it's just going to be this endless thing of serving God, and everything should work out. But the way it's going to turn out is he's this great talent. He's going to get a chance to spend a lot of time painting, and he's going to, again, be one of the people that jumpstarts the Renaissance. Known to his contemporaries as Fra Giovanni di Fiesola, brother John of Fiesola, or Fra Giovanni Angelico, angelic brother John. In modern Italian, he's often called Beato Angelico, the Blessed Angelic One. But uh, we tend to know him as Fra Angelico, which means the Angelic Friar. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, trivia point, the hazelnut liqueur Frangelico is not named after him. I had always assumed that it was. Yeah, he deserves it. It is, it is not. It is named after a hermit monk believed to have inhabited the Piedmont Hills during the 18th century, Mm. um, who may or may not have liked to drink. Um, Our Fra (laughs) Angelico, as you said, moved to Florence when he was quite young from this uh, small Tuscan village. And as you said, studied painting under Lorenzo Monaco, the Florentine painter who invented the Grand Prix. And he was actually a late Gothic-style artist who didn't get into this whole Renaissance humanist perspective thing. Right. Monaco, this is. Right. Lucky for us, Fra Angelico did. But as you said, even though he showed early talent as a painter, at age 12 he entered the Dominican order and became a friar. Now, do you know the difference between a friar and a monk, Ray? They would both molest me. But no, I don't. Uh, does a monk stay at a monastery and a friar? I don't know. I'm just Let reaching. Let me look here. It was a guess. It was a guess. I'm just assuming. I'm not trying to be a dead. Just, just you know. I well, and again. Yeah, you're close. Uh, friars and monks both take holy orders, mm-hmm. um, and they they uh, vows of poverty, chastity, uh, obedience, those sorts of things. Um, they're both called to serve society, um, but monks do it in a cloister. Mm. They they lock themselves away from society. Friars are supposed to engage with society. They work among the lay people, right. are often supported by donations or other sorts of charity. 
whereas monks live in like a self-sufficient community where they grow their own food, make their own wine, jerk each other off, that kind of stuff. Friars go out and uh, do it amongst the people. Fra, F-R-A, Fra Angelico. Fra just means friar, similar to the French word frere, as in mon frere, Mm -hmm. okay, my brother. Just means brother. Like Friar Tuck from uh, Robin Hood. Yeah. Was a brother. Yeah. Yeah, you know, went out and worked with uh, thieves who would steal shit from people. That was how it's complex. he it's complicated. Preached, preached the Lord's word. Right. So as you said, uh, Fra Angelico ended up living at the convent of San Domenico, a Dominican convent situated between the hills of Fesola and the suburbs of Florence in 1418. When he was there, they put his artistic talents to good use. He illuminated manuscripts, Mm. uh, painted pictures and frescoes on the walls of the church, all very religious stuff. That's his life. Did that for 18 years. (sighs) Then in 1436, the friars from San Domenico were moved to a new convent, the San Marco convent, built by Michelozzo. Right. At the order uh, of Cosmo de' Medici, paid Damn. for by Cosmo Damn. de' Medici. And uh, he had a little room in the convent where he could go. Cosmo, this huh. is. Just wanted to get away from people for a bit. A um, bit like Jeffrey Epstein with his private island. <laughs> he was like, you know, I need a little, uh, need yeah. a little place little me where time. my mistresses, yeah. little mistresses can come. Yeah. A little bit of uh, hanky-panky. Hanky-panky. A pad. He called it his pad. I got a, a pad. Yeah. Got a downtown crib yeah. at a monastery. <laughs> they all took a vow of, vow of silence. They can't say shit about what uh, I do down there. Uh, yeah, they can, paint, they can paint pictures of it, but that's hot. <laughs> it's just, it's just more hot. Time oh, just thinking about it. Anyway. Well, a little more to the left nowadays. <laughs> I'm set. I like that. So uh, yeah, he moved there. Uh, all of the all of the friars moved there. By the way, uh, San Marco is the same convent where we will see in upcoming episodes Savonarola came from as well. Mm. The uh, cranky old bastard Savonarola <laughs> who tried to shut down the Renaissance. Bastard. Anyway, yeah. when uh, Fra Angelico moved there with the others in 1436, put him. In the centre of the Renaissance, all the artistic activity that was going Uh, on in the region and the patronage of Cosimo de' Medici, who was a big fan of his work. Uh, He's obviously, by 1436, Cosimo's the man, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's come back, the Albizzi are gone, everybody's gone. He is at the top of the hill, could do whatever the fuck he wants. And one of the things he wants to do is commission Fra Angelico to decorate the convent. Yeah, I think he's going to spend like the next nine years painting 50 or more frescoes on the walls of the monastery church, the chapter house, the dormitory, the refectory, the hospice, the cloisters, the cells. I mean, this guy's basically going to take his absolute love and passion, which is painting, and obviously over those years when he was at the other place, his talent develops, and now he's in this new environment with this new stimuli, and he's been given a free hand. He just goes fucking crazy, and he paints, but, and this is the amazing part, and you hinted at this a second ago, this guy is so humble. He is so modest. When he's painting, it's not all about his ego. And like you said, his brothers call him Frau Angelico. And because he, as far as we know, he never got angry, never offended. In some ways, you could say he was Christ-like. And he just went about and did his work. And he beautified the new place that he was at. I think it's great. Nailed it. Yeah, he. Uh, that's why he was called the angelic brother, Fra Angelico, yeah. a bit like you. No one ever saw him angry yeah. or, or, or succeeded in offending him. He was just placid. Paint. Hey, listen. Yeah. Hey, lo- I love. I love it. Just love. Love. He was. He was the dude. Yeah. Um, but. In his famous painting of the Last Judgment, <laughs> did you look at? Did you look at that? Yes. Did you? Did you really? Did you study it? I didn't study it. Come on. 
Did you get in and really get into it? I, what, what, tell me, tell me, tell me about the painting. What's going on in the painting? Explain it to me in detail. People are being ju- no. I'm just joking. Uh, no, you caught me no, in a lie. What? You caught me in a lie. <laughs> but he did act unchristian like in his. Yeah, painting. but don't don't tell me what you read in Wikipedia. Did you look at the painting? It's in Wikipedia. All you have to do is click on it. You think I would open it up? I w- I'm surprised. Yeah, would think I you would think. Yeah, no. I, fuck me All you I have didn't. to do is open it up and study it. Yeah. Ah, oh, Ray. Yeah. Like I tell you, yeah. you never cease to surprise me with how completely fucking lazy you are. Your laziness is another man's um, focusing his energy elsewhere. Shout out to uh, Jacob Dunn. Don't know if Jacob listens to this show. Maybe he doesn't. But anyway, he listens to the Cold War show. Should have mm-hmm. shouted. But Jacob Dunn, local, uh, local, local boy, uh, train driver, um, roasts his own coffee beans, and he gave me some the other day. Caught up with me for a coffee. Gave me a couple of bags of home. Also, uh, cures his own bacon, Damn. Um, which is not uh, a euphemism for masturbation. <laughs> Uh, uh, gave me some coffee, which are very, very nice. Anyway, we were talking, we were living. He goes, oh, he said, I love Ray. I said, I know, everyone loves Ray. I said, we all love Ray. I said, he's dumb, thick as a brick, lazy, useless, and yet we all love him. He's just, he's, he's so cute and, he's so cute and funny. It's a gift. Uh, yeah. yeah, it yeah. is a gift. All right, so the last judgment, uh, pull it up right now. Pull Google, it pull it up, pull it up. All right. Fra Angelico's Last Judgment. Blow it up, get big. Because, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about these guys, you need to take this seriously. You need to right. re- look at the paintings. You need to study the work, Ray, you're not, or you're not going to get it. You can't just read somebody else's words and the communicate the passion, la- love. The Day of Judgment. The Last Judgment. Okay. The Transfiguration, St. Lawrence. Good God, how much does this guy fucking paint? Virgin and Saints, the the Madonna, the Annunciation. I have it. Right. Blow it up. Big. (laughs) Now, start on the very left-hand side. What do you see? Uh, I don't know. I see a bunch of people on the left-hand panel. Are they angels? I see some wings. Yeah, one of the things about Fra Angelico's paintings is they're jam-packed. Yes, what the hell? Like he, it's like he was getting paid by the face. <laughs> per person. He yeah, could exactly. paint in here, yeah. yeah. He's got millions of people in his paintings. He's pretty much anyone, everyone. He's yeah. can cram he, in he's there. He's ever met. Bit, right. It's like, like my grandmother taking a family portrait. Just everyone Every- get in the middle. Everyone get yeah, in. Walking down the street, come here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on the left-hand side, you've got some angels at the gates of what I think is like the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. light shining out. You've got a bunch of angels sort of holding hands in a doing ring around the posy or something dance. <coughs> um, you've got a bunch of other saints and angels giving each other reach arounds. There's lots of hugging going on. Yeah, there is. Um, there's lots of hands holded. There. Uh, this is the Last Judgment, right? It's the day of Jesus, Jesus is returning, which um, Christians have been predicting was going to happen any day now for 2,000 years. So that's on the left-hand side on the ground. You've got all of these uh, holy people looking up, happy. Jesus is up in the sky in the middle. He's surrounded by hundreds of angels. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, yeah, he's got his posse. In the sky, on the left-hand side of Jesus and on the right, you've got all of the apostles and the disciples and the saints. They're all looking pretty fucking pleased with themselves, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> Mary is up there. Uh, I assume this is Joseph on the other side of him. There, Joseph is like, I'm still not buying that whole virgin birth business, but okay, whatever. Like For the sake of to keep the family together, yeah. I'm just not going to talk about it. Right. Um, then in the middle... Of the painting, you've got like a big slab with holes in it. What do you think's going on there, Ray? Are they separated by this line? Are they trying not to fall in? No, these are these are tombs that have opened up. Oh, um, gotcha. right, it's the end oh, the of time. Gotcha. All right, yeah, end All of right. it. There's a coffin. 
in the, right in the front there. There's a coffin. Um, you can see there's some. If you look at the the concrete slab or the marble slab, whatever it is, the tomb. See the lines. See the perspective of the lines on either side of it yes. fading back to a vanishing point. Ah, yeah. Okay. So Fra Angelico knows his uh, vanishing point here. This is all built around a vanishing point, which is a, not really Jesus. Like the vanishing point, if you follow those lines through, is sort of the center of the painting where the angelic horns come out. Jesus is above it. Right. Not like Da Vinci's uh, much later Last Supper, where Jesus is the vanishing point in the center of the painting. Mm-hmm. But then on the right hand side, on the ground, Ooh. we see. Bunch of scary black bat demon things uh, ushering a whole bunch of kings and preachers and nobility into a big cave on the right-hand side, which is uh, obviously hell. And when you go into, zoom in on the hell thing, there's lots of naked people tied up, chained up, Stuffed into little caves that are all on fire. Damn, yeah. Um, there's one which I like. There's a bunch of people, naked prisoners, sitting around a table with food and drink. And I thought, oh, that's nice. At least they're having a lunch break. Until I realised what they do is fattening them up. Oh. Because then in the in the yeah. cave below them, they're all put in a hot tub. Uh, they're being cooked. And then right down the bottom, you've got a big, giant, black demon thing. Maybe right. it's supposed to be the devil, and he is eating people. There's a there's a two there's a half a half a corpse sticking right. out of his mouth. Yeah, it's chewing blood everywhere. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of body parts below him Damn. in a big vat where he's obviously gobbling people up. It's uh, pretty cool. Um, <laughs> But if you look at the panel to the left of it where the demons are ushering people into the into hell, you can see uh, right in the front of the, front of the cave there, there's a, a Franciscan monk. Pretty obvious. He looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi because uh, all Franciscan monks were Jedi Knights. So uh, getting back to Fra Angelico's peaceful nature, he, a little bit cheeky. Yeah. He, obviously, the Dominicans and the Franciscans had their beefs. We've talked about this on previous episodes uh, when we were talking about the Great Schism and all of that kind of stuff. Well, here he paints uh, at least one, maybe two, one be one above him. They're Franciscan monks being thrown into hell for being on the wrong side of uh, the debate about who was the right, right holy order. So he's not perfect. Not perfect. But what, what did you think of the painting? Awesome? Fantastic? Amazing, um, right? Scare the shit out of me if I was fearful yeah. of the way I behaved myself. Yeah. Or the way I treated people. Hint, hint. Yeah. You would paint me into that section <laughs> there, getting thrown into the hell if you were a painter. <laughs> Get out of my head. Cut my cut my face out and stick it on somebody there. Um for this for this modest young man who let's face it I mean from what we know he hasn't exactly struggled I mean he's he had a decent family he's been a part of this, this organization since age 12 and so he's led in some ways a very sheltered life he hasn't had to put up with the trials and tribulations of life. Um, obviously, he enjoyed painting very much. He always prayed before he painted. He's Like I said, he's lived a very sheltered life. And so maybe that allowed him to focus on generally the, the good side of life, except for throwing some, um, some Franciscans into hell. And so he's able to focus on the things that matter most to him, Mary, Christ, heaven, the saints, and that kind of stuff. But when he was painting, he's not trying to create beauty, which is what I first assumed. He's trying to inspire piety. He wants someone to look at his thing, and and maybe it's fear, the devil. Maybe it's just to see the the beauty and the perfection of God and all those, or excuse me, Jesus and all those around them. But he literally wanted people to see his work and to be inspired and to be better, better people and to come to Jesus. Um, and in the the chapter house where the friars had their assemblies, he painted the picture that the prior, his prior, who he loved almost more than anybody, his boss, uh, he thought his prior, the prior thought they should all focus on the crucifixion. So again, this guy is not only modest and humble and talented, and he's he's a, a decent human being, but he, he seems to love the, the man who's in charge of where he's at. And so he focuses on all the stuff that his prior tells him that's important to him. He also has in his paintings his version of Christianity at the foot of the cross along with St. Dominic. There were the founders of the other 
rival orders, uh, Augustine, uh, Benedict, Bernard, Francis, uh, and others. And so he's like, in a perfect world, we would all be together at the foot of Jesus, supporting them. So in one painting, he's got them all together, being subservient to Jesus. On the other one, he's throwing some Franciscans into hell. So not a perfect guy, but he's but he seems to be a decent human being and obviously an incredible artist. As we get I had to throw that in. Van, Van the Man, St. Dominic's <laughs> Preview. Oh, so long since we played music on a show. Right. Um, yes, he always wanted to inspire piety with his paintings. Now, his favourite subject, though, which he painted time and time again, was the Coronation of the Virgin. There's a copy of it in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. There's another copy at the Academy, Della Academia, in Florence, and the third is in the Louvre, where Napoleon borrowed it for safekeeping. <clears throat> now, in all of Fra Angelico's paintings, much like those of Giotto and sort of the late Gothic style, the people all have the same stoned out of their fucking minds look on their faces. <laughs> um, one of the big changes that you see uh, as the Renaissance moves along is the looks on people's faces go from ethereal, stoned... Um, you know, uh, uh, dumb cattle-like look on their faces, pious, where they're like, hmm, no, everything's wonderful. It's basically like Mormons in Utah look on their faces like, everything's fine. (laughs) Two, actual emotion (laughs) and expression and variety of that, uh, classic Gothic style is everywhere. All the faces look the same and they all have the same expression because... It's not about that. It's not about the humanity of the people. It's about the piety of the people, which is more about what's happening, not what's, uh, you know, what what they're feeling. Like, although if you look at uh, The Last Judgment here, um, I mean, the, the, the characters where they're getting thrown into hell... There's a little bit of oh no, bit a bit of screaming, yeah. bit of uh, oh my hands are up over my ears, oh no, but it's very very tiny. This section you can't really see the faces or the expressions much, but there's a little bit there. But if you look at the rest of the people in the painting, uh, they're all just like uh, yeah, it's Tuesday. Yeah. What about the weather, huh? <laughs> Fuck, it's uh, nice day. Yeah. There's nothing going on. Nobody's right. pointing at the hell thing going, oh, shit, yeah. check that out. Oh, did you see that? He just ripped his arm off. <laughs> it's not like watching the boys. Are you still watching the boys? Yes. Yeah, love it. Oh, the violence in it, man. It's yeah. like, ooh, ah. Yeah. No, none of that going on in this. They're all just like, hey, hey, it's nice, huh? Yeah. Um, Will Durant uh, about Frangelico writes, no painter except El Greco ever made a style so uniquely his own as Fra Angelico. Even a novice can identify his hand. A simplicity of line and form going back to Giotto, a narrow but ethereal assemblage of colours, gold, vermilion, uh, vermilion, vermilion? Let's go with vermilion. Yeah, yeah. I always say, I don't know why I have to... Don't worry about it. ...do my arse. Yeah. Gold, vermilion, scarlet, blue, and green, reflecting a bright spirit and happy faith. Figures perhaps too simply imaged and almost without anatomy. Faces beautiful and gentle, but too pale to be alive. Too monotonously alike in monks, angels, and saints. Conceived rather as flowers in paradise. Mm. And all redeemed by an ideal spirit of tender devotion. A purity of mood and thought, recalling the finest moments of the Middle Ages and never to be captured again by the Renaissance. This was the final cry of the medieval spirit in art. Wow. So he's doing it well, but a better style is around the corner. Yeah, and as I said with The Last Judgment, he is, um, you know, showing signs of understanding perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're starting to see elements of this crop in. 
but uh, it's 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 got some ways to go. Yeah. Now, the other thing that kind of I mean bugs me about some of his paintings is the depiction of um, certain things which don't look right. Now, I want you to open up his painting, The Annunciation of the Virgin. Nailed it. Oh, that's that's All right. intense. Tell me, yeah. Tell me what you see here. What 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 jumps out at you? What strikes you when you look at this? Um, I see the angel on the left, and her wings are multicolored, uh, almost striped. They're beautiful. And above her, the uh, the uh, is it the portico? The arches up there; those are very striking. Um, but on the right, the Virgin she seems rather plain, rather almost sad or afraid. What's but but the columns are beautiful. The detail. It's, I mean, it's a pretty impressive painting. It seems better than some of his other ones. Hmm. More detail. Yeah. Look, I think uh, you, the, the the arches and the columns. Like, the, I think these are probably ionic um, columns. There's a lot of really fancy uh, mm-hmm. scrolls. Well, the right. ones in the middle. The ones in the middle um, on they the left hand side yeah. are probably Doric. The yeah. ones on the corners and the one right in the center are probably ionic. Um, beautifully captured. There's a lot of depth there, yeah. the illusion of depth. There's perspective in the the building that they're sitting in going backwards. That works. It, it all works in terms of the perspective for me, yeah. Right. Um, the thing that jumps out at me every time I look at this painting, and I remember seeing this when we were in Florence and the same thing jumped out at me, you look at the angel's wings. Yes, they're beautiful. They're almost um, peacockian yeah. in terms of the, the beauty and the colours, but they don't look like fucking real wings. They look no. like they're carved out of wood. Right, in painting. What is the purpose of an angel's wings? I mean, okay, let's stop for a minute. <laughs> what is the purpose of angel's wings? Like, they're magical beings. If God wants them to fly, they can yeah. just fly. They don't right. need they don't wings. They're not birds. Right. Yeah, they don't need to flap. What's up with yeah. that? They're magic. They can just fly. Anyway, what's the point? God was like, hey, I just, you know, I had some wings left over in the, the, look in the lab, the I thought. I really know, like birds. I like yeah. birds. So. Look, I think birds were one of my best inventions. Yeah. So I, you know, I just, I went through a phase <laughs> where, <laughs> well, I think technically the angels came before yeah. birds. Pegasus. So that even makes, doesn't make my sense. Yeah. Right. I, I just like wings. You know, I go through phases of wings. <laughs> I'm like, can I do a wing? Can I, do I remember how to do a wing? I've been around forever. I get bored. I, I go through phases, you know, and then I I couldn't I couldn't really remember how to do them, so you know what I thought I'll just wing it, I'll yeah. just wing it, <laughs> but boom, I'm here all week. <laughs> but he did the, the angels' wings, yeah. <laughs> anyway, hold on a second. <laughs> Shit. Oh, here we go. Boom, boom. I'm here all week. Try the veal. <laughs> it's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> you know what? Boom, I'd boom, like I'm to announce. Week, try the veal. I would wow. like to announce my retirement. You yeah. don't need me anymore. Nope. Never have. No. Never have. <laughs> uh yeah, so look, there are some aspects of the Annunciation of the Witch are amazing. Some aspects of it don't exactly work. As you say, both faces, the angel and Mary, they both look like they're in a trance. They'd rather stoned. be stoned. Yeah. Um, their hands are just like sitting oh, there. They're identical. They're both crossed. Yeah, identical and just like uh, not really. Yeah. What's the point? What's the purpose? But some aspects of it are tremendous. Some just you know, like, well, yeah, not quite, yeah. not quite, not quite right. Yeah, I can't do um, feet. As an artist, I can't do feet. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Vasari was impressed with this painting. He wrote the angel Gabriel as a countenance which is seen in profile so devout, so delicate, so perfectly executed mm-hmm. that the beholder can scarcely believe it to be by the hand of man but would rather suppose it to have been delineated in paradise. I mean, yeah, the angel looks like it could move. It could step away from the painting at any second. Mary, not so Just much. Don't try and fly anywhere because <laughs> your wings are made out of <laughs> You'll wood. Fall. 
<laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. He takes them off, puts them in a bag when he flies somewhere. He goes, oh, they're just, yeah. they're just for puts show. Puts them in the overhead right? bin. Yeah. Right, right. Anyway, so he was so famous in his day Fra Angelico that he was offered hundreds of commissions and he insisted everyone who came to with a commission had to first go to his prior at the right. convent and get his permission. Even when Pope Nicholas V came to him to ask him to come to Rome <laughs> Talk to, my boss. to decorate the chapel of the Pope in the Vatican, he said, I better check with the boss. He goes, yeah. motherfucker, who do you think your boss reports to? <laughs> He's well, the head of the head of the Dominican Order. And who do you think he reports to? <laughs> uh, you, right? So, yeah. Uh, sorry, you still gotta still yeah. gotta still gotta talk to him. So this is a, at this point. I want to talk about Pope Nicky the Five. Let me just say this real quick. So Pope Nicky the Five, very important guy in, in this period of time, a major influence on the rebuilding of Rome. As I said in our last episode, Rome. Mm-hmm. Still a bit of a shit heap. Right. Pope Nicky V was the guy who said, let's make Rome great again. Right. Now, born Tommaso Parentucelli in 1397 in northwestern Italy, raised in um, poverty. Father died while he was young. Now, you remember that a lot of the popes that we've seen, we've talked about, mm-hmm. came from extreme wealth and privilege. Yeah, they were halfway there just being born. Yeah. They were quite often the sons or the brothers or the cousins of wealthy nobles, major landowners, kings, etc. Eventually, Medici become popes. They they they've got they're on the fast track. They 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 buy their way into a cardinalship. They bribe the uh, elections when the papal uh, the papacy is up for grabs, and. Consequently, most of them are cunts. Most of them are just greedy, evil, fat motherfuckers who just want to stick their dick in everything that moves and in some cases things that don't move. And, you know, just fighting over power and control and wealth. Nicky the Five, different. A Mm. bit like our current Pope, Frank, came from abject poverty. Um, did not come from wealth. And he was an Italian. Now, we know a lot of the popes up until this point for the last 100 or two years have been uh, French. Um, this guy is an Italian. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's come up the hard way. Right. Well, let me ask, ask this. So, so the area that he's born into is fought over a lot between the Genoese and uh, other, other factions up there. And so by the time um, that he is born, the Genoese control it. And so his father, who I think was a physician, and then his father dies when he's young. I'm not sure of the financial situation, but he does seem to get some level of an education. Did you were you able to find out more about that? I, I was just curious about not rich, father dies early, but somehow he gets an education. Do you know if he had a sponsor or how that came about? I do not. All okay. I know is that somehow you're right, he managed later on in life to get together enough money mm. uh, to study at the University of Bologna right. for six years. But then his money ran out and he had to go get a job. Uh, so he went to Florence where he became a tutor mm-hmm. to the Albizzi and the Strozzi families. Nice. If you can get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these these this was still in the days when you know before um, Medici ran him out of town. Right, they were they were the big dogs in town. And, but <laughs> so he got a job. But while he was there, he met all of the leading humanist scholars. He would hang out with them, go to their little little meetings in his off Swarries. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he immerses himself in humanism. Now at this point. He's nothing. He's not a priest. He's not a bishop. He's not a cardinal. He's certainly not a pope. He's right. just a guy. He is studying theology, but he's also getting involved in humanist studies as well. And as we know, that was not uncommon. Most of the leading humanists were also Christians, as we've mm-hmm. explained. Yeah. And we got when he got enough money together again, he went back to university, finished his studies, and got a doctorate in theology. Yeah. 
So he meets his um, his uh, who who becomes his uh, mentor. Um, so yeah, he's got this degree in theology. Fourteen twenty two. He meets Bishop Niccolo Albigatti, uh, who is impressed by him. Whether it's his uh, whether it's various talents that he has, maybe it's his writing or just what he's learned uh, as far as theology. So he sends him around Europe to vi- visit various countries, and I'm sure he sends him on er- um, errands as as well to further his education, for to further his experience and. And on these travels, because this young man has pulled himself up by his hard work and, and by the um, the knowledge that he has gained, he does become a book book collector to a degree. Um, but um, in fourteen, did I have this right? In fourteen forty four, his patron dies. Yeah, so Niccolò degli Albigati, the Archbishop of Bologna, mm. was his uh, patron. He made him the controller of sort of the household, but then ah. sent him back to Florence uh, to basically work for, look after the exiled Pope at the time, uh, you fucking genius, the fourth, <laughs> during his exile in Florence, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, so again, he's back in Florence making friends with all the leading humanists of the day, including Poggio. So he he knows all the artists, all the thinkers, all the writers mm-hmm. coming up uh, during this period. Uh, he's in the middle of it, even though he's now working also for the Pope. And we know, you know, the Pope was friends with Cosimo and etc. Right. as well. Um, he spends all of his income on books, as you said. He's he's buying manuscripts. He's doing the whole Poggio, Niccolo de Nicolai, Cosimo de Medici thing, trying to collect books. And, of course, eventually this turns into the Vatican Library. He's Mm -hmm. the guy that creates the Vatican Library. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Cosimo, still, when he was in Florence in these early days, engaged him to catalogue his own library. And Tommaso, when he wasn't uh, working for the Pope was able to spend his days among Cosimo's manuscripts, basically cataloging them, working out who was written by what was written by whom and when and yeah. creating an index Damn. for it, re- reading them, studying them, um, deep, deep, deep into humanist thinking. And he does this for 20 years. Woo. He serves the archbishop, uh, working for the Pope and the archbishop for 20 years, then in 1443, uh, the Archbishop dies and Pope, you fucking genius, appoints <laughs> Parentucelli to succeed the Archbishop. And then three years later, he's so impressed with this guy, he makes him a cardinal. Then a year later, the Pope dies. Right. The cardinals go into their enclave. Uh, As usual, there's a lot of politicking and bribery and all this kind of shit going on Mm -hmm. between the Orsini and the Colonna factions that we've talked about previous episodes. These are the two families that have have made popes. I think wasn't I think Marty Five was uh, Colonna. I think he was the pope before Eugenius, maybe. Yes, Colonna family. So that that it's deadlock. They've they've all bribed. Uh, 49% of the Cardinals <laughs> each, and it's deadlocked, and eventually they go, oh, fucking what about the new kid? Like, yeah. no one's no one's had a chance to bribe him yet. Let's uh, throw him into the job. So all of a sudden, he becomes the Pope. <laughs> God's will. Ducelli. God's it's come will, from nowhere right. to be the Pope. March 6th, 1447, he becomes the Pope. As he explains himself to one of his friends, Vespasiano de Bestici, he says, who would have thought that a poor bell ringer of a priest would be made Pope to the confusion of the proud? Oh, my God. So, if if I may, apropos of nothing... Previously, before Nicholas, before he becomes the Pope and he's a bishop, he runs out of money. And what do you do when you run out of money? You could work hard and cut back, or you could just ask Cosimo 
for some money. So he, he asked Cosimo uh, for some money. He's not asking for a loan. He's just asking for some money. Cosimo, like his father before him, probably saw this as an investment in the future. Cosimo gives him some money. And um, so when uh, he, he does become the Pope and he does become Nikki Five, guess who he puts in charge of the papal finances? Cosimo. I think he was already in charge of the papal finances under Pope, you fucking genius. But yes, he kept kept the job. Exactly. He kept the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, all of this time, uh, you know, we've talked about the Council of Basel Mm -hmm. and the Western Schism. Right. Um, You know, that's been going on through most of this period anyway. So there's popes and anti-popes and all that kind of stuff still going on. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's on good terms with Cosimo, Pope nice. Eugenius, through, my, you know, after Pope, uh, fucking after Cosimo came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, la, 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 where do we get up to? Oh, yes, he's now Pope. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, holy, holy shit. So, yeah, uh, the humanists of Italy, obviously pretty happy about this. One of them, Francesco Barbaro, claimed that Plato's vision had finally come true. A philosopher had become king. Mm. So he changes his name. His official name is now Nicholas V, uh, Nicky Five Fingers. Um, (laughs) He had three aims. A, to be a good pope. B, to rebuild Rome. And C, to restore classical literature, learning, and art. He, uh, he's a good pope, relatively speaking, Nicky V. Shocking, I know. Conducts right. himself with modesty and competence. Gave audiences to people at almost any hour of the day. He liked to get up early, get into it, work, start early, work late. Right. Got along well with Germany and France. Uh, He was so popular that the anti-pope at the time, Felix V, just went, oh, fuck it, this guy's too good. Gave up. up. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. just gave up. (laughs) All right, you win. Fine. (laughs) Fine. You're God's chosen. Yeah, like you said, he was able to work out a peace uh, with Charles VII of France, uh, work out something with the Holy Roman Emperor. In fact, Frederick III, the Holy Roman Emperor, was, uh, I think he went after they signed it, he was able to come to Rome and and he... I'm not sure if he crowned him or just uh, officially acknowledged his position as the Holy Roman Emperor. So the first thing this guy's got to do is try to clear up some of the mess from Eugene. So he starts going around. He's got his his diplomats, his his, uh, representatives, and he goes around and he tries to settle a lot of the disputes because there's no point in rebuilding Rome if there's a chance uh, someone's going to come and either attack Italy or attack Rome or whatever. So he starts um, with the diplomatic um, efforts to try to calm these various international fires and and he does a pretty good job with it yeah he does a pretty good job um and he manages to basically end the the papal schism after the anti-pope uh resigns the Mm -hmm. council of basil is dissolved in 1449 so all of that is over because he's the real deal yeah he's a he's a good guy he's not a not an asshole Right. That helps. But, and now he's got his hands on a shit ton of money. And he basically, as I said before, he's going to spend it on restoring Rome and building up a huge library and uh, restoring the role of classical literature. So he, like Cosmo, he sends agents out all over the world to Athens, Constantinople, Germany, England, looking for Greek or Latin manuscripts. Doesn't matter if they're pagan or Christian. He wants them. Right. If it's out there, I want it found. Sure. I want it bought. I want it dead. <laughs> I want their family dead. Oh, sorry. No, That's wrong pope. Different, different yeah. person. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, he has all these people hunting for books. Book hunters are back, baby. That's right. Yeah. And so, as you can imagine, with all this money and there's relative peace throughout the land, he begins restoring the major basilicas, the Roman churches. And like you said, he's working on the aqueduct that Agrippa had first built. And I think you mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, but one biographer wrote that he had he had put aside 2,522 cartloads 
loads of marble from the dilapidated Colosseum to help with the later construction. So again, that that falls apart. That's going to be used to start to rebuild Rome. Um, Did you read about... Because no one has any business being perfect. Did you read about his, uh, besides his simple life, dressing simply, modestly, eating simply, he did uh, impregnate, from what I can tell, he did impregnate a slave girl. And so he wasn't perfect, um, still a man of God, doing a good job, but certainly not uh, as Christ-like as he could have been. Well, you know, you don't think Christ stuck it to Mary Magdalene a few not. times? Come on. Let's, uh, I let's told be you. honest. It was anal, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Doesn't yeah. count. No, go ahead. That's, what he, that's what he said to Mary. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Take it up the poop shoot, Mary. It's all good. That's what. My, that's how my mother did it. That's why she was still a virgin. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> did you read? I don't want to get too bar- poop shoot. Poop shoot, Mary. They used to call her. <laughs> Oh God! No, I, I didn't. I don't want to go too far into the weeds here, but one of the things that made getting um, any kind of uh, books or any kind of um, intellectuals, maybe from Constantinople, to to come back to Rome was that you know previously not actually not very far off of Constantinople fell, and so the Byzantine Empire you know is is taken over by Sultan Mehmed the uh, second, and so I think it makes it traveling to that part of the world a little more tricky. But he is dedicated and he is serious about this, and he does have agents go there to to see what they can find. And he installs a huge group of scholars and copyists at mm-hmm. the Vatican uh, to to make copies of these things and get them out there. Obviously, this is still well before the printing press. And he basically tries to bribe every prominent humanist in Italy to come to Rome. He's pulling a Cosimo. Uh-huh. Vesp- Vespasiano wrote, All the scholars in the world came to Rome in the time of Pope Nicholas, partly of their own accord, partly at his request. Damn. He basically just wanted, he's got, listen, I've got the money, I've got the means, come to Rome, let's yeah. make Rome great again. All the best and the brightest, I want you to come here. He hired Poggio to translate Diodorus Siculus. Damn. who we have referred to in our various uh, shows many, many times. Mm-hmm. And like humanists who would come to him, sometimes he would bribe them with houses, money. Again, don't forget, Rome is a bit of a shit heap. Right. People are like, Rome? Why, It'd why be like I- <laughs> you trying to bribe the best and the brightest of the world to move to West Virginia. They're like, dude, <laughs> you mean are Florence, you fucking right? kidding me? Florence, <laughs> yeah. to Florence. Yeah, like when I tried to convince Chrissy to move from Seattle to Brisbane. Um, Okay, well, yes, Brisbane's a shithole compared to Seattle, but here's the thing. I'm here. I can't. I can't eat your pussy if you're in Seattle. She's like sold. I'm on. I just bought a ticket. I'm on my my way. Um, Oh my god! Yeah. When uh, uh, apparently the rewards that he was offering scholars was was so huge, mm-hmm. a lot of them were very reluctant to accept them. They were like, "Is this, this, this right? It's a scam. This, this it's a scam. is that this? Yeah, should I be taking money from the church?" And apparently he would uh, warn them, "Don't refuse. You may not find another Nicholas." Oh snap! He paid, He offered to pay one scholar ten thousand ducats to translate the Iliad and the Odyssey into Latin. Unfortunately, uh, he then he died before this could come to pass. Um, but it wasn't just pagan works. He also tried to collect Christian works. He offered 5,000 ducats to anyone who could bring him the Gospel of St. Matthew in the original tongue. Damn. What would that be, Ray? What language would the Gospel um, of St. Matthew have been written in? Oh, God. You think I would know because I've seen your documentary. Is that fucking Greek? I don't know. Fucking Greek, yes. Or Koina Greek, as we uh, know it. fucking Greek. Yeah, and who who popularized Koina Greek to be the language of uh, Europe? Alexander? Alexander! Yeah, you've been paying attention, Ray. <laughs> I tried. Wow. Um, so I'm impressed. So Nick, 
Nick comes along, he's rebuilding Rome, spending tons of money, even to the point, like you were saying, some of the people around Rome are like, you know, shouldn't all that money go to the glory of God or to better the church or whatever? He's like, fuck you, I know what I'm doing. So he's trying to re- rebuild the actual city of Rome. He's trying to make it the intellectual center uh, that it once was, and I guess um, Florence is, and, and he's trying to, I guess, make peace with all the different places around Europe. So this guy sounds like he's pretty decent. He sounds like he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, But I'm sure there's going to be somebody who's got to be pissed at him somewhere along the way because no one, no one's perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, But before we get to that, he also commissioned uh, Manetti to uh, the guy who I think was the biographer of Brunelleschi, I think it was the same Minetti. There's a couple of Minettis at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to um, make a new version of the Bible from the original wow. uh, Greek. Uh, wow. He wanted him to to translate it, the Hebrew and the Greek. This too didn't happen because the Pope died before it could come to pass. Um, but he did get... Latin translations made of Herodotus, Thucydides, Mm -hmm. Xenophon, Polybius, Diodorus, Appian, Philo, and Theophrastus. So for the first time, people who couldn't read Greek could read all of these Greek and, in the case of Philo, um, Hebrew uh, authors. Uh, This was a huge thing. Uh, One... Contemporary wrote, Greece has not perished, but has migrated to Italy, which in former days was called Greater Greece. So uh, Manetti, uh, who I mentioned before, calculated Mm -hmm. that more Greek authors were translated during the eight years of Nicholas's papacy (laughs) than than all of the preceding five centuries. Damn. Yeah. He's a humanist. He's a humanist pope. That's incredible. Their first humanist pope. Right. He ended up collecting 824 Latin and 352 Greek manuscripts. Ooh. I remember we said in the last episode that uh, Niccolo de Nicola, in the last episode, recent episode, Niccolo de Nicola, I think, had 800. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he died, manuscripts. Pope Nicky's got over 1,000. 1,100, 1,200 manuscripts. These were added to the previous papal collections, but then they had the problem, well, that we've got like 5,000 volumes. Obviously, you know, the papal collection was mostly Christian-related stuff before that. Um, It was the largest store of books in Christendom. What do we do with it? Build a Vatican library, said Nicky the Five. Right. And that's what he did. So he built the Vatican Library. Uh, and then it, it, it wasn't until Nicolas Cage came along that anyone really knew what was in. Was it, did he get into the Vatican Library or was it somebody else? I don't know. Was that know. Uh, the Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks and Nicolas Cage. One of them broke into the Vatican Library. I can't remember which one. Nicholas Cage saved the U.S. Constitution, so I think it was Tom Hanks that did the stuff in Rome. That was the first movie. I think I think he did a sequel where he may have uh, broken oh. in there. That's I don't great. Know. I can't even. Right? Who knows? <laughs> 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 That's our praise. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, so, the Vatican Library. Yeah. Nicky Five Fingers. Now, uh, you know, as we said, he wanted to rebuild Rome. Now, his plan here was to pay for it using the Jubilee year, which was coming up in 1450. 100,000 visitors from around Christendom were expected to come to Rome for the Jubilee year. We talked about Jubilee years in a past episode. Um, And he didn't want them to turn up and see Rome being a shithole. (laughs) So he wanted to rebuild as much of it he could. He said, don't worry about it. Look, I got money. But when the Jubilee comes, I am going to be cashed to the max, man. I'm going to have so much cash. There'll be so much bling. You won't believe it. It's going to make Rome great again. You're going to get so tired of winning (laughs) when the Jubilee year comes. (laughs) You're going to ask me to Uh, stop, and I'm going to say, no. He wanted to say that when pilgrims came to Rome, they should be confronted with noble edifices 
combining taste and beauty with noble proportions, which would immensely conduce to the exaltation of the chair of St. Peter. He had streets paved, bridges renewed, the castle of St. Angelo was repaired. He even lent money to prominent citizens of Rome to help them rebuild their palaces so they would look good. And he planned the Vatican Palace. He wanted to tear down the old Basilica of St. Peter that was a bit of a shit heap and build a new glorious palace over the top of the the Apostles' supposed tomb, which probably wasn't even really there, but, you know, they thought it was. Right. And uh, he, he got started on it. Unfortunately, he died. It was really Julius II who finished the work. And as you and I walked through the Vatican with Tony and our various friends, Effie, mm-hmm. etc., when we were over there, we were like, wow, this is appallingly over the top. But uh, <laughs> that was... That was Nicholas's idea, and it helps me put it in a little bit perspective. Like he thought, when the pilgrims come to Rome for the the jubilee, I want them to see it glorious. I want them to get down on their knees and go, "Wow, yeah, Jesus must be real because look at how much <laughs> fucking money he has." I read. And when they my came, life. they will. Yeah. They will bring their money and give me more money because that's how he was going to pay for all this. Right. People were going to turn up and bring money for the church. It's yeah. like yeah. contributions, donations, right? Yeah. And it worked. So he, he anticipated 100,000 people would turn up. 200,000 people turned up. So many that initially he said, well, when you come, you're only allowed to stay for five days. Then he turned it down to three days. Then it was two days. You walk all the way from France. When you get here, you spend two days, fuck off. Get out of here. (laughs) We don't have room for you. Right. Just long enough to drop off your cash, (laughs) deposit it in the Vatican bank, fuck off. Seriously. But I was going to do a tour of the Vatican. Well, it's not even built yet, so, yeah, so nothing God. to see here. Sorry. <laughs> Come back next time. Uh, it was a bit of a disaster. On one occasion, 200 people were killed oh. in a crush and got swept away by the Tiber. Um, as a result of this, Nicholas bought and tore down houses to widen the streets that mm. approached into St. Peter's to avoid that. So now you've got these big, huge thoroughfares right. that you can walk down. That's because he just tore down all of the houses. Good gracious. Um, enough room. He wanted to make enough room, too, for Mussolini to <laughs> drive his <laughs> tanks down. He's like, you know. This is important. We're not going to fit enough tanks down here. We need <laughs> tanks. It's got to um, be at least this wide for a tank. Yeah. I got you. For the tanks. Yeah. Now, the pilgrims uh, brought all of their money, uh, exceeded the Pope's expectations, enabled him to pay for the buildings and the scholars and the manuscripts. They brought so much money, in fact, that the other cities of Europe suffered a shortage of money. One guy in Perugia complained all the money of Italy is flowing into Rome. But, of course, everyone in Rome was pretty happy about it. The innkeepers, the money changers, the tradesmen. Yeah. The hawkers. Oh, the hawkers. They were making bank. And, of course, the actual bank was the Medici. Right. So the Medici were cleaning up. Pope Nicholas deposited 100,000 florins. Oh, my God. Millions and millions of dollars into the bank of the Medici alone uh, just from the Jubilee. Uh, I think we talked previously on an episode about the Romanus Pontifex, you know, with basically the Pope deciding, you know, dividing up the world, mostly between Portugal and Spain and stuff like that. Uh, that was in January 1455. And stop me if, because um, I think we've already gone into that. But obviously God was very happy with him for doing that because that's the same year that God calls Nicholas V home. He dies two, two months Friggin later. immigrants. Friggin' immigrants. Get your finger off that. I'm here for you, buddy. 
yes, but before that, yes. yes. It's not all milk and honey with <laughs> Nicky the Five. Um, in the year he became Pope, right. there was a plot against his life by uh, a rebel, Stefano Pocaro, a bit like old Rienzo that we talked about. He wanted to restore Rome to be a republic. Mm. Uh, he had a plan to like assassinate the Pope and break into the papal treasury and steal all the shit. He was like Robin Hood. Right. Uh, he said to Fra Angelico, do you want to be my friar? And he was like, oh, mm. no, 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 not for me. Um, he, uh, unfortunately for Picaro, he was arrested and beheaded. Uh, people were like, what? Humanist Pope beheading a rebel? It doesn't sound uh, right. Outrage and the humanists went. Well, he was trying to kill him. Like it's self-defense, really. But yeah, you know, bit of a black mark against him. Uh, then, when he heard that in 1453 the Turks had entered Constantinople, killed 50,000 Christians <clears throat> along the way, no, and turned Saint Sophia into a mosque. Right. All of the work that he'd done in Rome seemed like a waste of time. And yeah. so he decided to call for a crusade. Yeah. So he gave a big speech, urged all of Europe to join him on a crusade to recapture Constantinople, called for a tenth of all revenue of Western Europe to finance the crusade, Damn. Said, listen, give me all your money. <laughs> that you haven't already. That you haven't already, <laughs> and I will spend it on this thing. And if you don't, yeah. uh, you will be excommunicated. Shit. He's serious. And they said, fuck <laughs> off. Nah. <laughs> They said that to the Pope. Okay. Were they were they still mad because they already had all their fucking money and he was, to some of them, wasting it because he was building up Rome as opposed to building up the church? But hey, uh, the point is, nothing comes of this crusade. Amen. Yes. Yeah, nothing comes. They said, listen, bitch, you've already got all of our money. Plus... Every other time we funded a crusade, we're pretty sure you kept half, your, your predecessors kept half the money. Right. Uh, so, no, fuck you. And they didn't join him on the crusade. And he died, as you said, in 1455. Had an enormous impact on Rome. And uh, the point is that he uh, hired people like Alberti mm-hmm. and Poggio and Fra Angelico right. to help him rebuild Rome. He admired Fra Angelico's work so much, he eventually offered him the position of Archbishop of Florence. <coughs> hey, I like the way you paint. All Would the, you like to be an archbishop? All the money, all the bitches, everything that you could <laughs> want, uh, just for the taking... And Fra Angelico, this is how angelic he really was. He said, listen, I'm honoured, thank you, but uh, I don't think I'm the right guy. Uh, I'm not really a ruling people kind of guy. I'm just a humble painter kind of guy. I do the painty-painty, not the (laughs) ruly-ruly. And he suggested one of his friends at the monastery of San Marco, another friar, he goes, you know, he'd be good for this? Yeah. Barry. Barry, yeah. Stan, either one of them, good guys, yeah. been around, know their shit. And he did. He uh, both gave again? the job to Barry. All right. yeah, and Barry became Archbishop Barry, became very rich. Um, Vasari wrote he about Frangelico, he might have been rich, but for riches he took no care. On the contrary, he was accustomed to say that the only true riches was contentment with little. Aww. Sucker. And in 1455, Fra Angelico died mm-hmm. while staying at a Dominican convent in Rome, perhaps on an order to paint the chapel for Pope Nicholas V. Wow. So there you go. 
Mm. He uh, was he died the same year as Pope Nicholas V, right. and while he was working for him. So there you go. So that, my friends, is the stories of Fra Angelico and Pope Nicky Five Fingers. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. Win, win, win. <laughs> and we'll be back <laughs> next week with the story of another great Florentine early artist, Masaccio. Oh, yeah. 